CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400, 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you. Welcome to a Bill's Training Camp edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. And as you can see by our backgrounds, we are coming to you from St. John Fisher University, although you could probably guess that I am podcasting from perhaps a jail cell or an army barracks. Jonah, you look like you could be in a police interrogation room. It's pretty smart <laughs> backdrop. You, you have the cinder block behind you and uh, a desk with nothing on it. And that's about it. I have a couple of beds. Uh, this is the athletics uh, dorm room uh, across the way. You see where Joe Biscalia does his work uh, and the beds uh, that Joe and I uh, may turn into bunk beds at some point or, um, you know, push them together and make a double. Well, I'm in a dorm room with no beds, four desks and two towels and four chairs. And that's all we got in here. What are the towels for, Jonah? It's for anything I want to do with them, I guess. Uh, I, I really don't know. This is the media workroom. Nobody sleeps in here. Just uh, some of us that don't have our own dorm rooms or, or people who are here for just the day get to work in here, four of us at a time. And I really don't know what the towels are for. I guess if one of us, because there is a bathroom, there is a shower. We have, I do we, believe Joe and I have here. Some yeah. oh, I'm going the wrong way, I guess. So Joe and I have some towels. Two I have towels, not used the towels. towels. One of our towels is used. So Joe may have taken a shower um, or ate, uh, maybe he ate uh, crab legs or lobster and he uh, didn't want to get any on his shirt. I don't know. I don't know what Joe does in here at all hours. He just left. He just filed his story to the athletic and he is back on the throughway heading back to uh, uh, the South towns where he lives. Jonah, um, did you uh, live in dorms when you went to college? For a period of time, uh, for two semesters in my freshman year. And then I was, uh, me and my roommates were forbidden from living in the dorms ever again, or even visiting people in dorms in sophomore, junior, and senior year. This is at Brockport. This was at Brock, SUNY Brockport State College. What did Benedict SUNY College. Brockport not uh, take kindly to? Well, they had a two-strike policy about drinking in the dorms and, uh, First time we got caught with some empty beer cans and second time we got caught with some empty beer bottles. And that second time was uh, one too many times. And we were what's called kicked off campus and not allowed to live in the dorm rooms again. And, and technically, like, as I said, you were, you were not even supposed to visit other people in dorm rooms. If I ever wanted to go in, you had to go in before you sign your name or kind of sneak in to uh, not be signed in properly. A little bit of a funny story. If I could tell the second time, 
Uh, no, wait we a second. Uh, just do a, before you get to your funny story, just to set the put a bow on it. Everybody got the same punishment who lived in your in your room or your suite or whatever it was. Well, so because you don't know who the empty they didn't do DNA testing well, on who right, the empties right. belonged so, to. Well, here's how that played out. So it was like a room punishment. There were four of us, and it would have been all four of us. But uh, there was one of our roommates that uh, was a bit worried that if this happened and he wasn't allowed to live in the dorms his sophomore year, that his parents wouldn't allow him to go back to college. Uh, so we all went to the uh, the dean or whoever it was that made this decision, and we all had to uh, insist that there was only three of us drinking the beers, and, and our other roommate was a really good kid that never would do anything like this. So actually three of us got kicked off campus and ended up finding our way into an apartment the next year. And one of them stayed in the dorms the next year and found his way kicked off campus by the end of that third semester, sophomore year. <laughs> but the second time we got caught, we had, uh, we had taken a garbage can from the hallway, a big garbage can, because it was much easier to use that. And, and you know, it just made things easier to throw a bunch of beer cans in that big garbage can. And uh, then there was a fire drill. And instead of going out for the fire drill, we said, I said, decided to just hide in our closets. And then uh, we heard somebody come in during the fire drill and say, hey, we found it. And they dragged that uh, garbage can out. So we think that fire drill was really just set up to figure out which dorm room had stolen the garbage can. And then they had all the evidence that they needed right there. So we're sitting there like crunched up in closets with the doors closed thinking, oh, shit, we got caught. But, you know. You make mistakes and you learn from them. And that's not what I'm doing here in the St. John Fisher dorm rooms. Although maybe that's why I'm in the workroom. I don't have my own dorm room. Maybe the, the word got out that I am kicked off the Brockport campus and not allowed to stay in this campus. The New York University system, even though St. John Fisher University is private and would not be in the SUNY system that you violated, uh, maybe that's like uh, Elaine Bennis trying to go to a different doctor. You know, you tried to you tried to look at your your records and uh, you're just on a blacklist. Yeah. But both Empire 8 college football programs and Rochester area schools. So there is some uh, similarities between the two schools. Now, I'm looking at your room and it's reminded me, this has been several years since I came out here and stayed at the covered training camp and came out to these St. John Fisher dorm rooms. I don't know if you've ever done this. How many times have you come out here to stay in the rooms and you forget the sheets and you forget never. the towels? I will, I, oh, will never, I will never stay in these beds. Uh, yes, it's a nylon cover on this, but these are college students. I have no idea what's happened in these beds, uh, what kind of uh, DNA would be found, or if a black light were taken to these mattresses, what would turn up? Uh, I'm thinking anything from uh, nighttime ex uh, secretions uh, to uh, nocturnal emissions to uh, vomit. Um, who knows? Who knows what's what lurks inside uh, those fibers, and I will not be sleeping on them, or nor even sitting on them. Um, no, no interest in that. Uh, I did stay over last night at a hotel, where, <laughs> which is probably the same thing actually, uh, but at least uh, there's turn down service. I've slept on one of those beds about ten years ago with no sheets, no pillow, no blanket, and then taking a shower and had no towel. I had to use like my shirt from the day before to dry off, and then walk out to practice and, and do the job. Um, what would be on uh, Jonah Bronstein, Brockport freshman, uh, what would be on his uh, dorm room walls? What posters? Do you have to have posters? We had some posters. Um, my memory's escaping me exactly what they were, but I do remember like 
we went to the bookstore, the the off-campus bookstore, and found, you know, what we thought were the coolest posters, and they weren't that cool. They were probably, you know, semi-naked women, and oh, we I remember having this poster that was a bunch of faces of a bunch of rappers, like a collage of, uh, you know, 90s, 80s, 90s rappers and all their faces. Trying to think of what I had. I did have one. There was, uh, yeah, there was a a bikini, a woman in a bikini of some kind. Uh, I think I had a Rolling Stones poster. I had seen them um, that freshman year. Uh, I don't remember what else. One thing I do remember is uh, I think there was a rule. You couldn't like tape the posters up. You couldn't nail them up. So you had to use that like sticky tack that worked for about right. two weeks. So I think every poster that we had was hanging down only like one of the corners. Starts to working. sag in the middle. Yeah, they were basically on the floor ripped up by second semester. So Jonah, you've been out here at uh, St. John Fisher University for the first three days, um, as have I. I'm not a big practice watcher, I'll confess, because I come here to try to talk to John Roth, the new COO, for instance, or Derek Boyko, the vice president of communications, or Brandon Bean, or maybe I'll even have a chat with Terry Pagula, um, other members of the media, the national media that's coming through. Uh, you know, there's, I, I, I try to gather information that way, more so than trying to evaluate who's doing what reps with what unit and uh, that type of thing, because Joe Biscaglia does such a great job at that. I, you know, that's his purview. And then I do my thing, but uh, what have been your takeaways here from the first three days of camp, if any? Well, I've been bouncing back and forth between uh, Bill's camp in Rochester and the TBT basketball tournament. Oh, right. And we're going to talk about TBT. That's Blue Collar, you and Syracuse. Yeah. And so I've been at all the practices. I've been listening in all the press conferences, but while this is, this is an acclimation period for NFL players and the bills, they, there aren't pads yet. And that, that's what they call it for the first few days. And myself, I've been kind of getting acclimated to training camp and covering the Bills and just kind of getting a read on the team. But, you know, you're watching there, – there, I think there's maybe four position battles with the Bills, middle linebacker, uh, second cornerback, right guard, and slot receiver slash maybe 12 personnel, Dalton Kincaid filling that role. And nothing's been settled yet, but you're kind of seeing a bit of what we already knew, the, the players that are competing and the unsettled positions. And you've seen the Bills rotate through that. I don't think anything's been determined yet. And really what you're seeing is, you know, different cornerbacks, Christian Benford, Kair Elam, and Dane Jackson, each getting their opportunity at that spot. Different linebackers. It started with Terrell Dotson, uh, then Terrell Bernard. Then um, Balen Spector was in that middle linebacker role today with, with the starters. I think that was a slight surprise to some people maybe, although the Bills have said he would get an opportunity to be part of that competition. We have not seen Dorian Williams in that middle linebacker spot yet. He's been playing on the outside, but it's early in camp. And I think you can still see more things move around. And I believe a lot of those battles will remain somewhat unsettled until we get into preseason games and probably after training camp into the Bills practices at the stadium, which we're not allowed to watch uh, with the same amount of volume and, and, and stuff that we are here at camp. We've spoken about the Stefan Diggs situation uh, for the last month or so. Um, we've repeatedly talked about the vagueness of it. And while Stefan Diggs is, is very charismatic uh, and engaging and compelling, uh, 
there's still so much we don't know. And I found it interesting that since he spoke on Wednesday and smartly, uh, it was very wise of the Bills to have him speak that day. He obviously has a lot to say about that. The Bills can't force him to talk on the first day of camp. So he wanted to put some narratives to rest. Uh, a lot of uh, our media colleagues have noted that the water under the bridge comment that Stefan Diggs made regarding the situation as good as gold, as uh, it's over, it's buried, it's done with. I don't think that's true. Uh, we still don't know uh, what the issue was. And you've made a great point. You've used the phrase, I'm stealing your words here, uh, Jonah, but you've said if it's so minor, then why is it still a secret as to uh, what Stefan Diggs uh, was upset about? And he did give a huge clue by saying that he has um, more good years behind him than good years ahead of him, which is, I think, very self-aware and healthy. He knows that his personal window is closing and he's upset. And I get that. But that only goes half the way in explaining what has happened with him and the Bills uh, this offseason. It goes half the way of as an acknowledgement of why he uh, feels some anxiety. And yet we don't know what it was that he expected the Bills to address. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I wanted to bring up the topic here, Jonah, as to um, what you thought of Stefan Diggs on Wednesday. You were there uh, right next to me. We were listening to him uh, and the the response, I think, from a lot of people, whether it be the media, or their fans who are satisfied that this is over and done with, because I'm not convinced of that. Well, yeah, we got a lot of, as you mentioned, water under the bridge or insinuation, whether it was Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, Ken Dorsey, and Stefan Diggs himself, that any issues are no longer simmering, no longer lingering, that if there were problems in the past, there are no problems now and no problems going forward. Stefan Diggs was engaging and, um, you know, it seemed like he funny, wanted to talk to you know, the media casual, funny. Yeah, you know, right. it, disarming in the sense that it must not be a big deal because look how free and easy he is talking about it. Um, but it, to me, it was the things that weren't said. Well, right. And he gave the impression that he was being introspective and telling us everything that was on his mind and, and being open and genuine and honest. But as far as giving any clarity to why he didn't attend any of the OTAs, why he had to be excused from the first day of minicamp, why he left the stadium in distress after the last playoff game. Uh, we really got no clarity on that other than that Stefan Diggs is unhappy that the Bills lost the playoff game and didn't go to the Super Bowl. But every other player on the roster is probably disappointed that the Bills didn't win the Super Bowl. And everybody else came back to OTA saying, let's put in the work and let's get back there. Um, and maybe we'll never know or we'll never get an on-the-record statement from Stefan Diggs saying what those issues are. But you know, that only raises more speculation and more wonder and more uh, curiosity as to whether these issues could crop up again, because who knows what it was. And it leads to maybe some wild theories or leads to people uh, making their own assumptions right or wrong over what happened. And the things that caused Stefan Diggs to have consternation in the past could happen again. And if it's such a minor thing that, that everybody's saying nothing to see here, you know, then give us some clarity as to what that is if it's such a minor deal just tell us and, and we'll all move on and not just us but bills fans i think they're and nfl fans are very curious as to what's going on with the bills 
And if it is a minor issue that is no longer an issue, well, you know, give us a little insight as to what that was so we can put it to bed and really move on. Let's play out the metaphor a little bit uh, that Stefan Diggs raised regarding this disagreement. Uh, families have disagreements, he said. Well, families are also um, bothered or, or have things fester. Uh, water under the bridge has a tendency to sometimes slosh back under the bridge in the other direction, you know, whether it's <laughs> you want to talk about uh, the tides or, or whatever. But um recurring drama the same issue think about it you know anytime you do want to think about a family disagreement and it is a healthy way to say you know what you're right we do have disagreements in my family uh you know over thanksgiving dinner or uh, how uh, we're raising the kids or with an ex or the in-laws yeah there's we all have some sort of thing that we can conjure up in our minds to get us to a place to be like yeah steph is saying it's minor i've had some things that i've got and it is what the things that the things that families repeatedly argue about are the things that are, are generally um, they don't they keep coming back up. You know, there is, I'm, I'm muddling through it here. I'm not saying it clearly, but there are things that keep when you you assume they're dead and buried, um, but they keep coming back up. So I, I heard from a, a Bill's Hall of Famer. Um, I, he, he likes it when I don't uh, mention his name of things we talk about, but I occasionally get a phone call from him. And, um, this particular time he called me last week about, uh, the bill's front office shakeup and he wanted to see, Hey, what's going on there. Do you think this is good? He was asking me, which is flattering. And towards the end of the conversation, he, uh, I mentioned Stefan Diggs and it, how I thought it was a minor thing personally. And, um, that was my opinion as reading the tea leaves and his response to me was it's minor until it's not minor anymore. He was not convinced that it's gone away, that this is, that if there's turbulence, that this is going to still be a problem. Now this was before Stefan Diggs spoke on Wednesday. So maybe this hall of famers opinion has changed based on seeing that news conference. Uh, but um, he was adamant that this is not over uh, and he doesn't know what it is either but he's lived through these types of situations, these finger quotes, family disagreements a lot of times, and they don't, they have a tendency to not go away uh, was what he said. And I thought that that was interesting. And I, I also I think, like, and I guess it's, I've, I'm of the mind that maybe there are too many bills in the hall of fame for a team that didn't win a championship. There are a lot of bills in the hall of fame. And there are also bills who didn't play on the Super Bowl teams who are in the hall of fame. I like that. I can say that. And uh, there are enough hall of famers that you can't guess. Like if I covered the Jacksonville Jaguars and I said a, a Jaguars hall of famer called me, uh, it's a pretty short list. Uh, but if well, I, I, can, I, I can say, I can throw that out there and you can, and th that person still has cover. Well, I'm, I'm just about certain that this individual is O.J. Simpson. You don't have to admit to that being the case, but <laughs> that's who I'm going to assume called you on the phone. I um, like I like that that can be an option with me. Yeah, absolutely. I like my opinion too. on O.J., you know, I, I guess I did when Ricky Cobb was on. I did I did I did make some uh, admissions to what I think uh, happened that night uh, in Brentwood, um, which I have tried not to do. Um However, I like that that is a possibility that with me, it may have been O.J. Simpson. You see the Bills signed a cornerback today and assigned him number 32. Number 32. Yeah, well, that's uh, 
I'm starting to glitch a little bit on my video. That's St. John Fisher University Wi-Fi, but uh, hopefully we're going to be okay with this recording. Uh, but yeah, number 32 for the Bills, which uh, is an old story because it's been worn before. And I thought was good PR that the Bills did that. Because if you weren't going to retire the number, which the Bills never would be able to retire number 32, you might as well put it back in circulation because you're kind of, you're admitting that you're ashamed of it. That you're not, you're going you're not going to give it out uh, and yet not retire it was an admission. I wrote about that. And, uh, and when the bills did finally issue number 32, they, they gave me a heads up because I had been writing about that topic. And, um, uh, why am I forgetting Sonoris? Perry. Perry. Right. Sonoris Perry. Didn't make the team. I don't think, I think maybe he might've made the practice squad or he was banged up or whatever, but anyways, I'm of the belief I don't know if this has happened every time that if you're wearing number 32 in Phil's training camp, you're probably not going to be on the 53 man roster. That it's a number they give the players who won't be wearing it for more than a few weeks. Well, but there are enough numbers in that range that uh, he's, uh, that this player can probably wear a different number if he wants to. The Bills don't, ass- yeah. it's not 100% assigned to you. You do have to, you do have requests. I mean, he could avoid yeah. it if he wanted to. I do believe that's happened. Maybe it was Taiwan Jones. Don't really know a player that wore 32 and camp made the team and ended up switching numbers before the game started. Cause I don't think the bills or the NFL want fans purchasing number 32 bills jerseys, even though they, they still do. Right. But uh, you know, I think they want to avoid that, but getting back to Stefan Diggs, I, I do think, I think we can assume maybe we really can't say with hundred percent certainty, but I think we can assume that this is a football issue. I think there was some question in minicamp that whether Stefan Diggs was staying away or he was upset over some sort of personal issue or something off the field that maybe we did not have the right to know about. And I think if you read between the lines and even things that have been said, that it does seem to be something that relates to the performance of the offense and, and things that happen within games and within the bills that, that lingered through the end of the season and into the off season. And as much as you can say at training camp that everything's all good and everybody's on the same page, once you get into games and if some of those issues arise again, if Stefan Diggs doesn't get the ball in the second half of a game that the Bills lose or in a important drive in the playoff game, he doesn't get a target. Um, I think these same issues could come up again unless changes have been made or issues have been talked about and settled. And I do think it's quite curious that you know, what really happened on that first day of minicamp? What was said between Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, maybe Brandon Bean was in those conversations as well, maybe Ken Dorsey? Like, why did that get to such a boiling point where Stefan Diggs had to go home? And I, I understand why the Bills don't want to talk about this, but it must have been something embarrassing enough or something that the Bills don't want out there in the public discourse, and that's why it's being kept in-house and it's not being talked about, and that only – raises the curiosity and the speculation if it is a very minor thing and if it's really nothing to see here it might benefit all involved to kind of give at least maybe some hints or a little bit of truth um so that we stop assuming it it could be something even worse well it could be something uh profound and i've said that before we don't know if it's silly if it's juvenile or uh, profound i'll use the word again It, it could we don't know and that is that's why it's hard for me to have an opinion as to how important this rift is or this uh, um, this miscommunication. It, it could be su- super ridiculous, uh, or it could be something that is legitimately 
uh, disconcerting to Stefan Diggs. And so there is that. I don't want to just totally write it off as it must be embarrassing. It could be something that just is they want to remain private, but it doesn't it, it's hard. It's hard to know. And so here we are um, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks after. Um, all right. Let's even go back. Let's say months since Stefan Diggs stormed out of Highmark Stadium and tried to leave before Sean McDermott addressed the team for the final time after that Bengals loss in the playoffs um, that we still don't know. Um, and do we have a right to know? I mean, that's another discussion that gets had. Uh, I see it on social media a lot. You know, leave him alone. Uh, let's move on. Um, but if it's hard, it's hard to totally move on when you don't know uh, what the the genesis of this was. It's difficult to have closure because you never know if it's going to recur or if it does happen again in plain sight. Is this what it was the first time? Is this something totally different? Um, you know, the, the NFL is opens itself up to this soap opera and I and, the, and welcomes it, quite frankly. You know, this is what makes the NFL run uh, is the 365 day a year interest. And much of it is of the, the belief that any um, uh, any content is good content because it keeps people talking about it. Um, you know, the, the NFL's ability to quickly turn DeMar Hamlin's situation from oh my God, do we want to keep watching football? Uh, to, of course you want to keep watching football. Look at this hero. He's a hero, you know, and as opposed to, you know, there's all kinds of things that can get turned from a PR standpoint into the show that is the, the National Football League. It's a, te- it's a reality show. It's a te- reality television show. Maybe the best reality TV show ever invented or created. Uh, but the NFL has been able to pull that off, unlike uh, some of the other sports. Uh, the NBA is probably a close second. Um, but yeah, I think that the drama and the thing, the mystery uh, only adds to the, the popularity of the national football league and why we consume it so much. It really did help carry Bill's coverage and to a degree, some degree of some, some bit of NFL coverage throughout the last month. It's supposed to be a dead period. I mean, it was like a gift from heaven for sports radio talk shows and, um, anybody, you know, or, you know, the, the debate shows or whatever, anybody who just wants to come up with something to talk about or guess about uh, national media, trying to figure out if it's Ken Dorsey or if it's a Josh Allen rift or did it be, it was it because they didn't sign Deandre Hopkins after Stefan Diggs's uh, contract was restructured. People were just throwing shit at the wall, uh, you know, citing, you know, obtuse sources or really arcane sourcing sources close to the bill's locker room. What does that mean? The custodian? Uh, you know, is that uh, the guy who delivers the Gatorade? I mean, I don't, what's a source close to a locker room? Um, anyways, it, uh, it, uh, it gave, and here we are, just like we did with Jerry Ostrowski, yeah. you know, we said we weren't going to talk about it and we ended up talking about it for a half hour uh, because you can talk about right. talking about it, which is kind of what we, you and I've been doing for the last month. Cause it's still an open question. Dissecting it from something- a media standpoint. It's still something that I think Bills fans are wondering about. I, I think people outside of Buffalo in the NFL media and fans are maybe even more intrigued by what's going on and whether this is a fissure in the Bills culture and belief and could keep this team from reaching its potential. I'm not so sure it will, but I do think it's fair to ask and wonder and look at it as you know a bickering Bills type situation potentially. And had this been explained 
either after the playoff game or in the locker cleanout interviews or some point at OTAs, we wouldn't be talking about it anymore. There might be a little bit of reference as to, hmm, maybe that comes up again in the season, but it would be a last season issue had the final chapter on that been written or had there been some sort of conclusions laid out and reached. The fact that it's still an open issue and an open question leads that we've been talking about this. We've spent more time talking about Stefan Diggs on this podcast than any other topic over the spring and summer. And, right. and I think with good reason. And every guest we've had, it's been kind of interesting to to get their take and their opinion. And, and maybe this is what maybe the Bills are just uh doing some brilliant kind of content marketing type thing that us not knowing what happened with Stefan Diggs is what keeps the Bills on everybody's tongue and everybody's mind. But Whatever happened is some piece of dirty laundry that the Bills don't want to air in public. And I think it's understandable that they don't want that those details to get out. And it seems like all sides are in agreement that whatever happened, they want to keep within the locker room, within the closed walls of the Bills. But I do think the fans who pay for the tickets and the media properties that pay for you know, basically fund this whole operation and, and leads all of the high salaries and everything that goes into the NFL being such a mega entertainment property, uh, have the right to at least want to know and ask the questions and believe that if it's football related, um, we should know that, as you mentioned, this is basically a reality television show that's now 365 days a year almost. And, you know, I don't think it's acceptable to just say, you know, we play football and you don't deserve to know any of these details, especially from people who talk after almost every game or after practices. I mean, this is just part of the operation that things get explained, or at least even if they're not always explained in detail or, or you know, they could even lie to us. I'm not saying that they should or, or that we want them to do that, but that's something the teams might do is put out a spin story uh, just to kind of give some sort of explanation. Oh, it happens all the time for sure. Um I don't think it's very healthy, but some, yeah, it, it's happened. It's attempted for sure. Um, but I do think that the, whatever it is has been over uh, wrought in terms of how it's going to impact the bills. I still think that the bills are an elite NFL team heading into this season, top five, for sure, maybe top three, uh, I think that it helps them to be flying under the radar and for people to be uh, writing them off as a team that might be on the brink of falling apart. Uh, like you say, a fissure that could uh, bring the team down. Stefan Diggs wants out, which I don't think is true. Uh, but all those other things that that people are wondering, oh, my gosh, what's this going to do to this team? Their window is closing. That's a phrase that you hear quite a bit. Oh, just uh, Sean McDermott on the hot seat, which is what we've been um, hearing also for maybe a couple of, you know, at least not the last month since his contract extension was announced, but heading in throughout a good chunk of this offseason, Bill's fans wanted him gone, um, a lot of them, and uh, nationally people were taking bets on if Sean McDermott was going to be the first coach fired, people who don't understand how Terry Pagula thinks, obviously. Uh, and that uh, Sean McDermott uh, is, is going to have to face uh, a real crisis and come out on the wrong end of it, I think, to lose his job. Um, but uh, I, I think that, the, you know, the Bills are in really good shape. And it's they're one of those teams that I think people are tired of talking up uh, and then seeing them not get to the championship game, not get to the Super Bowl the last couple of years. So 
there's a fatigue involved. It's time to move on to a different team. You always want to be talking up the team that's on the rise, not the team that is maybe plateaued or has been disappointing. So people want to start talking about the Bengals as an, uh, as an elite team. They want to start talking about uh, hell, the Detroit Lions. You know, there's there are some teams out there, uh, the Aaron Ro- uh, teams out there that uh, that are just capturing your attention. And I think that people are a little tired of the Bills being considered a contender and not proving it uh, when it really matters. Uh, it deep into the playoffs. So the uh, the stories about uh, drama, possible uh, you know uh, rifts front office shakeup, power struggle, Sean McDermott, hot seat again. I mean, using that, um, all kinds of things, a Terrell, a a Tremaine Edmonds departure, uh, you know, oh my gosh, it's just not, not landing DeAndre Hopkins, not getting, you know, like, oh my God, this team just doesn't have it anymore. Let's talk about somebody else. Um, Let's talk about what uh, you know what the dolphins are up to because they're a team that always seems to be in every conversation about getting the next uh, great uh, free agent or uh, the team that's on Mike McDaniel being such a you know hot shot coach and you know the again I just think that the bills are probably in a pretty sweet spot from a um, to not be uh, in the league lights. Uh, to to be off to the side a little bit, I think is healthy for the Bills uh, and also gives them a shitload of bulletin board material that Sean McDermott revels in. He loves that type of stuff, uh, being written off, that whole concept. You know, that is fuel for a lot of these guys. And not being the Super Bowl favorite, I think, is a healthier place for the Bills to be. Yeah, the Bills, I believe, based on the betting odds, are either second or third or tied for second for the – the shortest odds to win the Super Bowl. So they are almost as much of a Super Bowl favorite as they were a year ago. But the hype and the belief and the chatter around the team is a lot different. And as you mentioned, that's probably healthy for the Bills. The Bills have long under Sean McDermott been a team that's better at fighting from underneath and believing they are the underdogs and believing they have something to prove. And I just think that there was too much preseason hype last year and too much um, belief that the Bills kind of played their way into the Super Bowl with a week one win against the Super Bowl champion Rams. And now this is going to be a, a more productive and healthy trajectory. I think going from the place that they are now to maybe peaking late in the season, instead of peaking, they almost peaked in training camp last year, or they peaked in week one and that that's not good. And then a lot of, we don't have to go over all the details, but a lot of bad things happened for unfortunate things happened for the bills as the season went on. And, you know, if that Super Bowl was played in week two, the bills probably would be Super Bowl champions, but, but what about the, the uh, this year? Their 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 total, I think, is ten and a half, right? Is that the number? Doesn't that I, I seem low? I mean, I'll I'll look it up to double check. You I'm know, sure. it does seem low, but I I feel like those numbers are always a little low because it's the NFL and teams lose games. And um, even though the Bills, you know, here's another thing: the Bills went thirteen and three last year. They lost their three regular season games by a combined eight points. If you look at Football Outsiders, uh, Pro Football Reference power rankings and stuff, it might have been the best regular season the Bills have ever had. They had an excellent season despite all of the injuries, despite the emotional toll that DeMar Hamlet's situation had on the team and, and other issues. Josh Allen playing hurt for the second half of the season. They ran out of gas, it seems like, or, or faced a bad matchup and did not play their best. They had their worst game of the season in that final playoff loss. Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean will say you are what you are at the end of the season. 
But before that game, the Bills were one of the very best teams in the league. I think they made the roster better, and they're relatively healthy right now. Josh Allen's elbow is healthy. Other than Von Miller coming back off that knee injury, they really Jadavious have no White will be better. Jadavious White seems Employer to be Employer and Hyde can stay healthy. healthy. That is a huge upgrade to the defense over last year. I think that uh, I think that the defense is if if Tremaine Edmond or if um if Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde stay healthy and Taylor Rapp the addition of him, um, Tre'Davious White improved because his knee is going to be he's going to have more confidence in it. It's going to be better. I think that if all those guys stay healthy, that makes the defense better even without Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah, and there's a possibility that Sean McDermott taking over the defensive play calling makes the Bills' defense better, even though the Bills' defense was excellent last year for the most part until maybe some issues in the playoff loss. I think there's a lot of reasons. The offensive line, I think, is better or could be better. Defensive line as well. And there's always been areas where the Bills have had weaknesses, even in the very good seasons the past couple of years. There's a lot of reasons, I think, for Bills fans to be optimistic and hopeful and think this could be the best Bills team and the best Bills season in history. But there's just not the same buzz and the same vibes that there were a year ago where almost well, I think everybody that the Jets around the league the, felt that way. The Jets and the Dolphins are bleeding some of that out of the of the Bills. So the dominance within the AFC East, pro, that people aren't as convinced of that because of Aaron Rodgers' presence and what the Dolphins have done. Uh, they've already shown that they're pretty good and they seem to make big moves every offseason to get better on paper. Um, so uh, Mike McDaniel winning people over in terms of uh, his what he's been able to do. So I think that that plays a part in the Bills win total being at 10 and a half um, as opposed to, you know, a, a team that only they played one fewer game than everybody else last year and still won 13. Uh, and the three losses that they had were by a combined eight points. Uh, and it took a miracle against Minnesota uh, against to, to, to lose in that game. But um, so there's, a, and then you can go back to the Dolphins game, all those players who were hurt and dropping like flies on the in the heat. Then they, the Bills probably still should have won that game. Um, if not for an Isaiah McKenzie miscue. For that matter. Yeah. I mean, uh, but uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jonah. Well, it's just because I looked up, sorry to cut you off, but you know, so you said ten and, a half, 10 and a half seems like a low number. Last year when the Bills were really, you know, as, as close to Super Bowl favorites as I think you, any team could be, the number was 11 and a half. So, you know, the hype slowed down a little bit with the Bills. Their Super Bowl odds last year, preseason, were plus 600. Now they're plus 900. But it's not that much different, at least in terms it of – feels, It feels much – yeah, mathematically – It feels way different. It's not, but it feels way different. Um. Jonah, let's talk about uh, TBT. And in fact, uh, you're going to be leaving uh, Pittsburgh, New York, and heading east down the thruway to Syracuse uh, to cover Blue Collar U this evening. Uh, so depending on when you're uh, listening or watching this podcast, uh, this could serve as a preview. But um, your your th your thoughts on TBT so far? And I don't know that we've discussed really the um, the University at Buffalo not hosting. Uh, and I don't know if you want to get into that and, and any of the, the background with uh, the defending champions not being able to host uh, any games this year. We want to start there and then talk wherever about you want the to. You, I mean, this is you, you know this story way better than I do, and, or wh wherever you want to start with with TBT and what we're going into tonight's game, which is this the lack of you know, for the sake of 
explaining it to the to the listener, the sweet 16 round, even though they they avoid saying uh, that you're using that. Right. Let's start there and we'll get into the hosting thing after, but maybe to give some context for people who aren't following along or don't know all the background. Uh, Blue Collar, you were the team of Buffalo alumni players. 11 of the 12 players played at UB and were mostly part of these championship teams that won four MAC titles and went to the NCAA tournament, uh, won two NCAA tournament games and were a nationally ranked team at the end of that run uh, when Nate Oates was the coach and Bobby Hurley at the beginning of that run. They won this championship last year. Uh, single million dollars. Winner take all, million dollars to the winning team. Uh, they were the winners of it. Uh, it's not a – it's a form of a national championship. I mean, you could really – put this in the category with something like the bandits of a uh, minor league, maybe sports championship for Buffalo. Um, and it was a exciting performance by the team. Exciting to see them win. The games are on ESPN. There's this college reunion vibe to it and recurring characters, players that fans knew and loved from their college careers. Now you get to see them all come back and play together again. And I think that UB fans and Buffalo basketball fans, Enjoy that quite a bit. A year ago, they were the second seed in the Syracuse Regional, having been a Final Four, you can't say Final Four, but a semifinal team the year prior. Syracuse alumni Bayheim's Army had won the championship, the million dollars in 2022, 2021, and they were hosting as the champions, which isn't always the case, but is often the case. Last year, the Buffalo team goes and wins the Syracuse Regional. The Bayheim's Army team had been upset in the second round and uh, the Buffalo team never got to play them. Buffalo wins the second, uh, the Syracuse region on their way to the championship. Now they're back in Syracuse. Buffalo was the number one seed. Uh, Blue collar U, I should say, not Buffalo. Uh, Bayheim's Army, the number two seed. And here they meet tonight, the past two champions and two of the favorites maybe to contend for this year's championship playing tonight at 9 o'clock. The game's on ESPN Plus and it's Syracuse War Memorial Arena. And I think it'll be a entertaining and intriguing basketball game for people who like college basketball and, and watch the TBT. But, you know, uh, some people believe that Buffalo being the defending champions and the way things go should have some sort of home court advantage here as the number one seed and the defending champion. Is tonight's game and, on TV, by the way, Jonah? ESPN plus. So that doesn't you have to count. be a subscriber. It, yeah, it kind of doesn't. If I, I can't watch it in the bar, it doesn't count. Right. Well, your bar might subscribe to that. But, yes, I think it's a little bit disappointing. Later rounds in this tournament will be on ESPNU, ESPN2, and I think the championship game on ESPN. But this game tonight is on ESPN+. Plus. It's a 9 o'clock start, too, which isn't a great on a Friday night TV window. But if you want to watch this game, people will find ways to watch it. And, you know, I think there'll be some Buffalo people making the trip down to uh, attend this game. And, in fact, the whole UB current roster – was there for the second round game when Buffalo Blue Collar U played great, uh, won by 20-something points and had a 20-point lead within the first few minutes of the game. Uh, George Helkovich, the new UB coach, uh, was there sitting courtside for the first round game. There have been a few fans, but tonight's going to be a, a Syracuse crowd. There's going to be a lot of orange in the crowd, and it's going to be a road game environment for this uh, Blue Collar U team when – some would believe that, you know, that's not fair, that this team deserved to be hosts of this regional. And it's more than just being able to host this specific game against Syracuse. Uh, they think that they should have had the opportunity to kind of celebrate last year's championship, have a curtain call, maybe have some kind of banner ceremony or some kind of acknowledgement of what this team accomplished last year and also 
what they accomplished as collegians because this team went and won MAC championships in Cleveland and NCAA tournament games in Tulsa and other cities and really didn't have that kind of last home game, something like the Bandits had where the fans and the community got to celebrate their success because then they went off and graduated. And many of the players, they've been back to campus but haven't been back in front of those basketball fans since the glory days of their career. And there was a belief a year ago that that was going to happen, that Alumni Arena was going to be a TBT regional host, and it did not play out that way. And there's a lot of people, I think, in that Buffalo basketball community and within the Blue Collar U organization and TBT itself, they're disappointed that that didn't happen. How come? Why didn't it happen? Well, the short answer is Alumni Arena doesn't have air conditioning. The TBT requires air conditioning. It's a safety issue. The condensation on the floor can lead to injuries. All of these, pretty much all of the players in this tournament are overseas professionals. And, you know, there's too much of an injury risk playing on courts in the summer that don't have air conditioning. Now, there's layers to that, though. However, And this was known two years ago when the Buffalo team entered this tournament. I did stories and I did reporting and talk to TBT officials about that. And it was known that um, they want to host in Buffalo, but there needs to be an air conditioning solution. And a year ago, I talked to UBAD Mark Allnut, and he didn't guarantee that it was going to happen, but he said that they were working towards finding a solution, that they had gotten temporary air conditioning for events at Alumni Arena before when President Obama visited, and I think some other speakers that they've had, that it was doable. It's just an expensive proposition. And I think it got to the point where it was too expensive to rent air conditioning, which is really a temporary air conditioning unit would have been required. And I had heard, uh, you know, from various sources close to the UB athletic department that they think that might've cost maybe $500,000 or up close to that to bring in air conditioning for a week. And that the revenue they would get back on this tournament wouldn't have been anywhere near that. It probably would have been somewhat less than a hundred thousand dollars. However, there's, Donors involved with this blue collar U team that believe a they believe that the the cost would have been cheaper than that maybe about half of that five hundred thousand dollars number. They also were willing to find the money to get donors to put it up themselves or do some sort of fundraising uh, operation or find a way to come up with that to get that air conditioning so UB Athletics and the state university would not have had to pay for the air conditioning and then still could have pulled in some revenue and it would have been some sort of money maker for UB or at least not a money loser and that they could have had this entertaining and, you know, good branding. And, and I think it would have been very good for UB athletics to have an event like this on its campus in the summer and shine a light on how successful this basketball program has been. And George Helkovich seems to really like that this team of it's not players he coached, but it's, it's the program he's taking over. And he's Smart of him to it. embrace the past. I mean, this is, these are the guys who are the, mo the most successful basketball players in UB history. Yeah, absolutely. So that could have been a good way to excite the fan base and show how good Buffalo basketball has been in the very re recent past and the way it could be if they continue to recruit the, the quality student athletes that they had in the past and hope to do again. But it didn't happen. They didn't get the air conditioning. They, they couldn't come with the money. It was it was explained to me that if, if there were – donors or fundraising ability to raise half a million dollars for UB athletics, that there were other projects that that money would have been better suited for, or even, you know, UB can't directly do this, but if there's donors with $500,000 burning a hole in their pocket, you know, start an NIL collective and uh, 
find ways to get players to Buffalo with that money, um, which is a understandable position. What what was frustrating for me as a reporter, and I think frustrating to a lot of people monitoring the situation, is that uh, Mark Allnett and the UB officials are not really willing to come out and say that. Uh, I can only get this kind of information on background. And Mark Allnett, who wanted to talk about this a year ago when it seemed like maybe it was going to happen, now is really not willing to talk about it when it's not going to happen. And that leads to some speculation that maybe there's more to it, that it really isn't a dollars and cents issue about the air conditioning, that it wasn't so simple that because if it was quite that simple, it never would have been an option in the first place. I, I feel like UB would have said two years ago and last year, great idea, but it's not going to happen because we're not going to get temporary air conditioning. Um, so, I mean, possibly there's a, there's a way that a solution could be reached next year and then have this tournament in Buffalo in the future. TBT had wanted to maybe do something else in the Buffalo area. They had proposed playing at somewhere like Riverworks, but the players were adamant that they did not want to play outdoors. Uh, they had the opportunity to play a regional at Rucker Park last summer, and they turned that down because they did not want to play outdoors. And there just isn't really the perfect solution to find another college venue or another venue in Buffalo that has air conditioning and is right size. The alumni arena is the cleanest fit, but that doesn't mean that it couldn't happen. I mean, Canisius, Niagara, uh, Buff State, ECC, not all of those places have air conditioning, but it might be a cheaper way to get temporary air conditioning. And some of them do have air conditioning. The downtown arena is too big, but maybe that could be used for one or two of the games, or maybe there's a, a way a donor could come up with some money to use the downtown arena, even though they wouldn't sell enough tickets to make all of that money back. So I don't think it's off the table that Buffalo will never host a TBT regional, but it does seem to be rather fraught at this point that alumni arena will have these UB alumni players back on their floor, kind of reliving their college glory days for a week next summer. It really seems like the ball has drifted away in that scenario. Like Wilson from Tom Hanks in Castaway, just drifted away. I think you were mixing a metaphor there, a ball drifting away, but I, yeah, yeah, I, right. But but, uh, but Wilson did drift away, and that is a poignant thought, if I dare say so myself. And it's led to a bit of animosity. There's also some, you know, baked into this is that the general manager of this blue collar U team is Brian Hodgson, the former UB assistant, Jamestown native, who followed NATO to Alabama, is now the head coach at Arkansas State. Um, wanted to be the head coach at UB after Nate Oates left and again after Jim Weitzel was fired. Didn't get an interview this time around, wasn't really strongly considered the first time around. And there's a belief from some people supporting the Blue Collar U program and some people who are UB supporters that that um, broken bridge between UB and, and Blue Collar U is, is somewhat related to that. Um, Blue Collar U had done their training camps at UB the past two summers. This summer they were at Damon University which has air conditioning. That's part of the reason, but you know, that's also because things weren't as jovial and friendly as they had been in past summers. Now George Helkovich did a good job of getting over to Damon and trying to bridge that, but it's still an open question as to whether uh, blue collar U and university of Buffalo are getting along these days. Maybe they need to send uh, Stefan Diggs over there to, for diplomacy to try to, uh, get everybody on the same page. Yeah. And related to that or similar to that Stefan Diggs situation, um, 
you know, come out and explain the situation and explain your position and why this couldn't be done and your feelings about it. And I think that would lead to less drama. The fact that a lot of people are not talking about this is, I think, making it a simmering issue that it will move on into the future, I believe. Well, a simmering issue that will not stop is uh, the weather out there. And you have a drive ahead of you, Jonah, to get to uh, Syracuse for Blue Collar U and Bayheim's Army tonight. Uh, I have no air conditioning in my car, and something is going on in which I cannot be idling for longer than two minutes until a uh, alert comes on my dashboard and says I must turn off my car immediately because I'm overheating. And so... Great time of year for that to be happening. Um, but I hope that you have a comfortable drive down the throughway this evening and then back home. And then we get to come back uh, to St. John Fisher University on Sunday in well, these beautiful un dorms. Unlike Alumni Arena, I have working air conditioning in my vehicle. I'll be going to a war memorial Syracuse. Arena maybe I need to talk to Brian Hodgson about getting air conditioning in my car and maybe a booster can help me um, get some temporary air conditioning so yeah, I can uh, not break down uh, along the Interstate 90. It'll probably be cheaper than $500,000. Perhaps. Well, Jonah, thanks for this. And thanks to everybody for uh, uh, tuning in to uh, one of the most uh, bare-bones uh, Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK CPAs and Business Consultants ever produced. No uh, extra microphone for me. Uh, no uh, lighting ring, um, the Joe Buscalia, Tim Graham uh, accommodations behind us, uh, Jonah from his interrogation room. Uh, thank you for uh, checking out uh, this uh, edition of Tim Graham and Friends and for staying until the end. Uh, is there some something that we should say here, Jonah? Uh, sometimes we like to throw in uh, some sort of... Uh, code word or prize uh, phrase uh, that people can then tweet at us to make sure that they got all the way to the end? No, but I mean, I, I, I just want to say that I'm missing that tree. If, if you're a regular watcher of this podcast, there's a, a tree in my apartment that is, I think, been in every episode of Tim Graham and Friends, at least since we started doing this on Zoom. And this you're is right. uh, the first time that the... Uh, the TJF tree. No uh, Shred and Reagan trophy part. behind me. No fan, my fantasy football trophy. Uh, none of that. But um, we made it through, Joan. It's it's good. Maybe we'll get a tree reference here. I like it. I, somebody will mention the tree in the in the in the retweets. Yeah, maybe what we should do next time is uh, take a picture and use those like fake superimposed uh, Zoom graphics, so it still looks like we're back in our normal situation. Also, how about the fact that we're in the same building right now and we still have to do this podcast on zoom in separate rooms like we really could well we can't because we don't really quite i think you might actually be in the room exactly below me you have cinder block walls i have drywall it's kind of weird uh but it's a different setup i have um uh wardrobe uh cupboards you know this is a big one that's blocking the i hope i'm opening it here uh blocking the you don't have any of that down of course you don't have beds you're just set up for a media center mine is set up for students uh this is mine i got the dorm room i got two dressers in here two wardrobes 
um, two desks, two beds, and a toity. Anyways, you got to get going. I got to get going. Uh, thanks to everyone out there for uh, checking us out. Please like us, rate us, subscribe to us, retweet us, do whatever you can to help support uh, Tim Graham and friends and make uh, CTVK, CPAs and business consultants uh, happy and, and satisfied for sponsoring us and keeping us alive. Um, and uh, enjoy the football season because it is back. The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions.